Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for brand strategist Jenny Heffernan-Brown. You know, this is how it works in the beginning as a freelancer, right? You're just running as fast as you can to get to keep the work consistent and not have these big peaks and valleys. I think sometimes we forget, and I have to remind myself this all the time, that like we are the bosses of our own either companies, if you think of yourself that way. Yeah, I think we have this idea that if we shut up shop and we aren't available, that the clients are going to throw up their hands and disappear. And the funny thing is, it's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, so there is Jenny, who is a brand strategist and a writer and a podcaster, for that matter, as you're about to find out. One half of a freelancing duo called Primmed Marketing. Links to everything which she's up to at beingfreelance.com as ever, as there is for all of our guests. Over 100 guests! What are you thinking of if you've not subscribed so you don't miss them? Go to wherever you get your podcasts, but you can also find them at beingfreelance.com. And please do sign up for the newsletter, especially because we've got exciting news coming up soon, not just about the vlog or about the podcast, but about doing the podcast live this summer in London and also some other speaking gigs coming up and doing a live Q&A on Instagram and things like that. So please do sign up to the newsletter at beingfreelance.com. Really appreciate it. Right, should we crack on? Find out what it's like being freelance for Jenny over in San Francisco. Hey, Jenny. Hi, I'm so glad to be here today. Thank you for doing this. So I tell you what, as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, I love this question because it actually made me think about things that I had never really thought before about being a freelancer. And I won't take you all the way back to the womb because <laughs> we don't have all day. <laughs> but when I really think about my first sort of foray into freelance, I have to laugh because during high school, I was on what they called attendance probation every single quarter because I never went to class. I had straight A's and I was getting great grades, but I was like, uh, do I have to be here? I'm kind of this independent spirit. I think I can like get my own work done on my own time. And at the time, I just thought that like school was overly regulated and had too many rules. But now I can totally see that I was like a baby freelancer from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened after that? After school, so my first couple jobs were with some really big organizations. So I worked with Taco Bell Corp and PepsiCo. And to be honest, they kind of felt like a prison. I wasn't really in creative roles and I just felt like there were a lot of rules. Um, and it also just felt like there had, you had to work there for maybe five years before you were ever really working on anything interesting, which at the time for me as like an ambitious 20 something that can be really soul crushing. So I kind of left big brand and started working in marketing companies and with tech startups. And, you know, I kind of had a foray into that world at the same time. And that really felt like a golden ticket just because I was able to be creative. So I was writing, I was designing, I was strategizing, but also being trusted as a really capable member of the team, even though I was kind of early in my career, which felt really, really good. But from there, I kind of fell into freelance. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I'd been doing marketing with tech startup for maybe seven years or so. And I just kind of started to get uh, disenchanted with my work. And mainly because I had started kind of working with 
target clients that were really too big for me to connect to. So like Samsung or Nabisco and like, I just kind of started to realize I didn't really care if our click through rates of like 1% help them make more money. So in 2012, I quit my job to go back to school and get my master's of fine art in writing. And at that time, I wasn't really sure how I was going to be making money. But fortunately, my family had a little bit of breathing room and I, they could afford for me to study the craft of writing while I was figuring out my next move. And it was really in grad school that uh, the freelance sort of came to life. Um, I was doing some small freelance work on the side in partnership with who is now my business partner, Sophie. And in 2014, we decided to like officially join forces and create our brand strategy studio, Prim Marketing. So even though in some ways today, we're kind of starting to feel a little bit more like an agency, we're still born out of the tenants of freelance, which is, you know, that we work from home a lot of the time and our flexibility and time is our own. And we, we really operate our business out of that freelance model. Cool. So how did you find your first freelance clients by yourself? Like how, how were you first finding work? Well, I think I just responded to, I, I basically went in as a contractor to offer my writing design marketing support to another small PR business. Um, and this is while I was in grad school. So my cap, my capacity for doing work was pretty small because I was writing all the time, but I found that I still wanted to be doing a little bit of the work on the side. So doing that freelance stuff. And I want to say that that PR opportunity, I want to say that I like found it on a job board or I found it on Indeed, or, you know, one of these places where I was pretty specific about wanting the parameters not to be full time. Um, and so I was just kind of giving them a couple hours a month of some some design and writing support. And that was where I met Sophie because Sophie then came on to the team over there. And so we were kind of two freelancers operating um, for that PR group, but then also doing, we both were doing other work on the side. So that's how we found that first one. But then once from there, we kind of, you know, had some, some collaboration happening and things kind of uh, rolled out. Cool. So how did it, who broached the subject? Who went, do you know what? Maybe if we join forces, we could do this. Like, how did that come about? <laughs> I did. Um, and part of it was the, the sort of the PR group that we were both freelancing for to kind of, like at that point in time, you know, we were both kind of contracted or freelancing for this group and that group would pay us. Um, but they had some changes in their client structure and they said, okay, you know, the freelance gig is up, you know, as happens free, frequently as freelancers, things can change. And so we were kind of looking around and scratching our heads and saying like, okay, what do we want to do now? And I was looking for more gigs and she was looking for more gigs. And because we had had maybe like six months to a year of really having that in-house partnership or like what felt like an in-house feel, we kept pulling each other in on the gigs. And so we'd be pitching to a client and saying like, okay, Jenny's going to do the writing portion and Sophie's going to be doing the promoting portion. And it was actually a client who kind of planted the seeds or a potential client. And he was like, great. Who do I write that check to? Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, um, kind of pull Sophie aside. And I'm like, what happens if we business? Do you want to like, you know, kind of join team up together? And at first, like, I think my initial impression was that 
the client would write one of us a check. We would put it in a bank account and then the other person would write the other person a check. It wasn't really this ambition of like, let's make an agency. It was to still kind of stay in that that freelance space. And over time, you know, like I said, we we are feeling a little bit more like an agency now, but like our tenants for the first couple of years, we were really just operating as two freelancers, maybe under you know the same brand, just so people could write a check to one place. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so you set up a, as in a proper company by then with a single bank account so that people could pay into that. Right. <laughs> How did that then go as you, as you then started marketing yourself? Clearly you're, you're great at marketing other people. How did it go marketing yourself? Well, I think because we, from that first company, there just was a lot of balance that we could give to the other person's work. So, you know, a lot of times what I was doing was the beginning of the equation and what she was doing was the end of the equation, which is kind of how it naturally became like a dual freelance show for us. So in terms of like marketing me specifically versus her specifically, we just figured out like, what is the thing that the end client needs? And can we present them one package that has all the things and then we figured out a split on the back end that works for us. We're, we happen to be 50-50 just because of the way, you know, the work kind of came together. But I think had it been maybe a different blend, uh, we might have split it a little bit differently. Phew. So it's not like one of you has to spend much longer working on something than the other person. No, we're we're pretty we're pretty in it together, <laughs> which makes it really convenient when yes. it comes down to having like hard conversations, you know. <laughs> And is one of you more sort of business development, like finding the work or, or is that kind of split as well? Yeah. And that, you know, the interesting thing is, like I said, in the beginning, we both were just two freelancers who were both running as hard as we can to get as, you know, this is how it works in the beginning as a freelancer, right? You're just running as fast as you can to keep the work consistent and not have these big peaks and valleys. And it really wasn't until a couple years in that we started to feel like we had ways to divide. And so, for example, with business development, a lot of that falls on Sophie's shoulders. I do, I do some of it and I've been doing some of it maybe in the last six months, but like there were years where she was the person bringing in the business. And then I really have a strength in like organization and systems and figuring out like, okay, how do we actually make this an official process? And so I end up just doing a lot of the business systems and building Um, But that took some time. You know, like I said, at first, we weren't thinking we're going to be an official agency and let's build this sort of more of a business. We've always kind of operated out of those that that, like freelance place first. Yeah, that's nice. And and did you start working together as in, in a physical place as well? Yeah, we did. After the first... I remember was that like maybe the first year, six months, eight months, we were each out of our respective home offices and we were taking budget meetings in coffee shops, which can be really awkward when you're talking about money in a public place. And so we we found a co-working space that's kind of halfway between our houses. We're here in San Francisco. I'm in the city. I'm in the hate. And she's kind of up in um, Marin County, which is super beautiful. And there's like a halfway point just on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. And that became a really great thing because 
we're now in the co-working space two days a week where we can collaborate, we could take client meetings and we have a conference room and all those things that you need as a forward-facing freelancer. But then we get to come back to our home offices and we get to do that deep work, you know, writing strategy stuff like in our home offices. Yeah, that's so cool. What would you say have been the biggest challenges of working this way, you know, in this collaborative sort of freelance way? You know, so one of the biggest things that I personally struggle with actually doesn't have anything to do with the collaboration. And I'm sure like a lot of your listeners might experience this, but I miss having friends in the same way. (laughs) Like, so two days a week, we're in the co-working space, which is great because we've met a lot of fabulous other freelancers and what we call brand friends, like our businesses are friends. (laughs) But when you work for a company, there's just sort of this natural orbit that you share with people. And it forces you to have these really interesting connections with people that you might not otherwise either spend time with or become friends with. And in fact, when I first moved to San Francisco from Los Angeles in 2011, that first job was basically what gave me some soil and seeds in which to grow the relationships that became like my friends here in the city. But since leaving a traditional job, it's been four years or yeah, it's been about four years since I've been in the traditional job space or maybe a little longer. And I can see that my rate of meeting new people has dramatically fallen behind some of my friends that have stayed in jobs and changed companies and they're constantly being exposed to new people. And I think as an extrovert, you know, I love my office, which I call the design cave, but that can also be a little tough, just not having that same flow of interesting new people kind of coming through your life. Yeah. Do you have hobbies outside of work? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this, like as a freelancer, it can be hard (laughs) because if you're working in the home, like it can all bleed together and it can be hard to have boundaries and but I think I've gotten better about having hobbies and, and, and side projects and things like that. And that, that does help, right? Yeah. What are your side projects? Um, so one of my big side projects that I really like, I, you know what I think is fun is I think it can be hard for ambitious people to stay focused on just one thing. <laughs> so I find that a lot of us freelancers do have many things that we have our fingers in. Right now, one of my side projects is a podcast that I create called The Type A Creative. And over there, I'm having conversations with driven artists and creatives about what it's like to have a full-time gig and then practice their art on the side, or even maybe just have an ambitious goal for their art or writing or painting or whatever that might be. And I mean, listen, like creating art is really literally one of the most important things that we can do in the world. And I think what's hard about the freelance stuff is that a lot of times we can turn around and sell that creativity to a client or to a company. And I think it's really important for us to have spaces where we're just creating things to make it, like to be exploratory and to play or to put our art in the world. And I think especially when you're kind of in the freelance life, that can be really hard to make space for. You know, it can kind of feel like your client work gobbles up all of your space and time. So the type of creative is a place where we have conversations around that. And we kind of talk about how to fight for that creativity for keeps, as I like to call it. 
Yeah, that's so cool. And how do you fight for it? How do you fight for your own? Yeah, I was just to say, like, other than the show, <laughs> I really try to carve out space to draw, like, write poems, write essays, or just kind of be creative just for myself as much as possible. I recently got an iPad Pro, and I'm kind of learning how to draw digitally, which is a challenge that I'm liking. And I think, you know, it's it's finding little pockets of time, right? I think it can be really tempting to book your, either your creative schedule or your, your work schedule. You know, you kind of get to control your own speed of work. And I think especially because of the feast or famine that comes with running your own gig, it can be tempting to just kind of contract and want to like book as much um, work as possible because you don't know when that client's going to pull out and you may you know, not have the stability that you used to have. But I think the trick for really making sure that you have space for that art that you don't sell to a client is just giving yourself these little pockets of white space where you're not um, expected to produce. Mm. You know, you have some space to play, to try something new. Um, And I think a lot of times we think that that creative time has to come in these big, beautiful, elaborate chunks. Like, I need to find a cabin in the woods um, where I can write my book and I'll spend all weekend. I'll do a getaway. But I find that most creative projects, they're done in these little tiny stolen moments, right? It's like 15 minutes before you turn on email. So for me, that's kind of become the fighting place, the battleground, I suppose, is to make sure that like at least once or twice or you know, three times a week is great to like pull out the iPad Pro and just sketch a little bit. Yeah, cool. And how's it gone with the podcast as well? Like, how have you managed keeping that up? Because you've been doing it, what, a year or so now? Just under a year, yeah. With that, this is that's sort of like my system side of my brain, like the less <laughs> creative part, the more type A part. <laughs> I have um, some support over at Primmed that I ended up just pulling into the type of creative. So I have an editor that I work with there and I have a project manager um, that I work with there. And I've just learned that I need accountability. I need other people waiting on me for deadlines. And they are great at that. Like even this, even this morning, my editor was like, Hey, by the way, are you recording an intro for this episode that's dropping this week? <laughs> and so like, you know, before I had a meeting, I had to just hop on and record my little intro. But um, I find that finding ways to set up structure for yourself, whether that's like people meeting you at the table or people expecting your work or creating deadlines can just really help things move forward. Um, you know, when you're the one responsible for keeping the momentum up. Yeah, yeah. When you started the podcast, did you edit it yourself or, or have you always had an editor? I've always had an editor. Um, and I think that just came out of the first couple of years of Primmed as a free, like the freelance mindset for me was I have to do all this myself. You know, like I have to edit myself. I have to design it myself. I have to, you know, and I don't, I, maybe that's just a very kind of controlling mindset that I have. But I learned over the years that like there are pieces, even though, you know, I was kind of making my own way in the world, I could break off pieces and draw in other freelancers or other contractors to help support the bigger vision. And so I started the podcast in June of last year. So I want to say that Primed was maybe three years old at that point. 
And so I just felt like I had already learned the lessons of not being the only one holding the vision because otherwise it just gets too heavy. And so when I sat down to launch the show, I was like, right, the only way I'm really going to do this is if I can have some support where I get to focus on the fun conversations and finding great people and coming up with new fresh ideas and that I have that structure behind me to make sure that I'm not up at like two o'clock in the morning editing audio. Yes. Uh, he says after three years of editing it himself. <laughs> no, that's really cool. So have you, you've been working on the work-life balance in quotation marks over the years? Yeah, that's so real. <laughs> it's, you know, like I said, it's, it took me a few years to get, to get it sorted. And I think, I think part of it is just the nature of the type of personality perhaps that's drawn to the freelance lifestyle. Cause look, I mean, we're workhorses, right? <laughs> we, we like to do our work on the, on our own time and we're kind of motivated by our own accomplishments. So that often means that like the thing that gets us really far in the freelance career is this muscle of like just showing up and working and editing at 2 a.m. or at 3 a.m. or like doing whatever it is you have to do to keep your your career alive. And for me, that switch, like I said, was kind of sometime around the two or three year mark where I started to realize that the strength or the muscle that had got me to where I was was not going to be the same thing that got me to where I wanted to go. Um, working harder really wasn't going to continue to move the needle so it was kind of painful. I felt like I had to learn new skills. I had to learn how to trust my, like the, the people around me, um, the, the other contractors I had pulled in for support. I had to learn how to like step back, which I think for, especially, like I said, the freelance where in that mo model, like the money you bring in is the result of the work you do. So it felt really counterintuitive maybe to like go on vacation. <laughs> and like, for example, last year, I spent three weeks in Africa where they didn't even have Wi-Fi. And so like that took me, it just took me a while to be able to flex those muscles to feel like I could do those things. How did you do that thing? <laughs> How did you like manage to sh basically shut up shop for three weeks and disappear? Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we forget and I have to remind myself this all the time that like we are the bosses of our own either companies, if you think of yourself that way, or like skill sets or, um, yeah, I think we have this idea that if we shut up shop and we aren't available, that the clients are going to throw up their hands and disappear. Like, oh, Steve's never around. Well, let's move on. Let's move our business elsewhere. And the funny thing is, it's really not that big of a deal. So, I mean, really, like, it's not a sexy answer, but planning, I put it on the calendar early. I let my clients know. We sort of batch some work in advance. Like I said, now I have contractors that also handle parts of the work. You know, like, I'm the prime and they're the sub, and I'm kind of contracting work to them. Um, so that helped because it means that they're doing a lot of the things that used to keep me awake in the middle of the night. And it's kind of been one of the greatest things that I've ever done with my, my career and with the business, because it means that 
if I'm in Africa and something blows up, there is somebody to kind of respond to that. You know, but even before we did that, like, I don't, I also just don't think there's anything wrong with like letting an email sit in your inbox for a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't, I think the clients, you know, at first they're like, Oh, we need this immediately. And then they go, Oh, he's on vacation. Okay. We'll just wait till you get back. <laughs> yes. So. Oh God. Yeah. That is just something which only hit me towards the end of last year was that whole thing of actually all the people we work with, they take time off and all the people they work with are like in the offices. Yeah. They, they, they go on holiday all the time and it's just taken that they're not there and you just have to wait a week. Right. Right. And isn't it so funny that like, and I don't mean to think that like, we think that we are self-important because I think a lot of us, we get to this place through a heart of service, right? Wanting to be great at our jobs, wanting to really serve the people well that are paying us to do work that we love. But like, it's funny to remember, we're not the center of their universe. (laughs) And so if we're gone, their world isn't going to fall apart. I don't know. Like, I think sometimes we put undue responsibility on ourselves. And I think that's kind of what keeps people from either having a good work-life balance, creating the kind of art they want to make or going on vacation. Yeah, no, I love that. So how have you, um, how have you coped with the, like the, the business side of it? So there's the two of you, like, have you come up against any difficulties i mean you you sorted out the split of the company and stuff like that but be it being paid you know like a deposit or you know struggling with those kind of things well two things number one system system systems are your friend (laughs) i think (laughs) this is where i kind of got to show up and shine a little bit in in kind of the the world we were building for ourselves and number two i got really good at money you know, it's so funny. I didn't really used to be that great at money. And in fact, when I, I had some shame around it. And even when I was like working for those tech companies and maybe I was making like six figures with a five figure bonus, I really just didn't manage it all that well. But now like a lot of it was putting in, like I, like I've said, structure or process to control like every part of my pipeline and I just don't think that when you're in the freelance gig that you have the space for that kind of aloofness, either with your processes or your money. Because I mean, look, we work really hard. And like I said, our clients, like, we really want to serve them out of a place of wanting to do a good job. So part of the way that you do that is by rolling up your sleeves and getting a system that makes sure that not everything that happens is your responsibility to remember right? I always say that like the brain of an entrepreneur is not always a safe space. So getting things out of your brain and into either a checklist or an email, some sort of email that gets sent off automatically at certain times so that you're reminding clients of their deadlines to get back to you on something without you physically having to remember it in the moment. So a couple of systems I really like is I use YNAB for cash flow planning, which is you need a budget, um, YNAB. And they're, they're actually just like a budgeting system that's available for like normal household budgets. And I started using it in my personal life and I liked it so much. I started using it as a way to forecast, you know, how much is in my bank account and like how far can that get me when I need to pay myself and if I'm sub- subbing out to any other freelancers and, you know, any of the other expenses that kind of just come with the gig, like how far will that money get me? So I know what my pipeline looks like. And then I use a system called Contactually for lead nurturing. So that's like a great way 
of seeing like, who are the clients that we've talked to and who is somebody that maybe just needs a little more time. And can I send them an email that has some value or like, Hey, I listened to this great podcast and this episode reminded me of you just as a way of kind of staying top of mind so that it's not so feast or famine. (laughs) And then I also, we also have like this um, enormous spreadsheet in Google sheets where we kind of like actually document what money we have for every quarter. Um, and that kind of just helps us see like, oh, okay, come June, we're going to feel skinny and we can start doing something about it in March. Um, so this, those things help. I mean, I think with any freelancers, we still have months, for example, for us, it's in the summer where things get really scary, <laughs> but now we just plan for them. Um, and we don't have like the perfect solution, but like it helps the systems kind of help you be a lot less anxious around it than I used to be. That's so cool, man. Those are for somebody who didn't like rules, uh, as you said at the beginning. You like creating your own. I like it. Yeah, and I think that's actually a big challenge for for us freelancers is to like find a set of rules or structure that allows us to thrive. You know, I think a lot of us want to be like, oh, the reason I'm in this is so I can own my time. But like, I think if you take that to its extreme, it can kind of be hard to be productive. Hmm. Yeah. And as a sort of duo company, although obviously it sounds like you you have many other people who you then have helping you out as well, because everything seems to have happened fairly organically along the way. But do you sit back and think of greater plans or goal making? You know, like, is that something you two do? Oh, totally. Constantly. All the time. (laughs) But I think some of it is the whole reason that we do like that I'm not working for someone else is because I think we want to enjoy how it feels along the way. And so we're setting goals, but then like constantly checking in with ourselves and then with each other and just kind of saying like, okay, how does this feel? And I'll give you like a real life example that we're kind of going through right now. The brand plan is the name of a strategy that we offer to businesses to help them understand their position in a market. So it kind of goes through core messaging and uh, who they're for and how they're different and all these really interesting things that can help lay a really good foundation for a company. And that's the one thing that we love to do. We love love selling it. We love making it. We love presenting it. It's just there's joy all around, right? And so last year we said, what if we kind of change the way that we're promoting and selling things. And what if we try to focus on doing the most of that? Cause that's what we love. It brings us the most energy we're selling, you know, they're easy to sell. We make a decent profit. Okay. So that was the goal. And we said, okay, quarter one of 2018, we're going to really try to focus on that. And we gave ourselves a goal of doing, I think it was like 10 strategies in three months, which we're like, okay, that's doable. It's like a strategy. It's we're launching three a month. We know we take about three weeks on each and we can kind of just stagger them. <laughs> then around March or like the end of February, we were like, oh my God, this is so much work. It's like we're doing this. Part of it is that we go really deeply in the process. And so I'm, I don't know if any of your listeners have really creative work. And sometimes with creative work, like it just can't be rushed, right? You have to adjust it. You have to think about it. You have to come back to it. And so just a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of waving the white flag and saying like, this doesn't feel the way I thought it would feel. <laughs> so now we're having some interesting conversations around, okay, what can we shift? Like, 
how do I still make the amount of money I need to make each month, but like shift it so that I, we don't feel like we're on a treadmill and, you know, I think we haven't hit the point where we're feeling like the work is compromised, but we're really defensive about that. So how do we, how do I make sure that what I'm delivering to my clients is great and I have enough time to get all the work done and I'm making the amount of money I want. So we're constantly like toggling those dials back and forth. Cool. Um, as primed marketing, is there anything as that's grown that as you've developed your website and everything that has particularly worked for you or, or maybe something that hasn't, but you've, you've got rid of? Like as a product or as a... Well, well, actually, I meant as the website, but I'd be interested to hear about about even the point where you started offering products, for example, because maybe at one point it may have just been services. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I can tell you about the evolution from service to products. So our products are still services. They just have like product names, <laughs> but we, for example, with the brand plan and this, this actually helped a lot with our sales and conversion rate and just getting more businesses to understand what we were offering. We were doing the brand plan kind of like, again, organically, we found that clients are squirrely. They change their mind a lot. They ask for different things all the time. They meet with someone in a bar who says, you know what you should do? And then they like change their whole business model. <laughs> and so we all started offering this, this strategy as kind of a way to nail their hands at the table to be like, guess what? When you meet with that guy in the bar and he says you should be doing this, if that's not in line with what's in this book, you don't have to do it. And so for like the first three years of our business, we're kind of just doing this deep foundational work and not charging for it. And we had a mentor that we were working with that we were kind of saying, you know, we're really having a hard time making sure we're paying ourselves enough and client work and you know, all the things that can come up. And he pulls out the brand plan. He goes, this is the most interesting thing that you do. What would happen if you sold this? Like give it a flat rate and give it a flat, like in your statement of work, it's a flat set of deliverables. And you kind of guide people through a process. So it's still a service, you know, we're, it's essentially copywriting and strategy. And we were like, Oh, can, can we do that? Like, can we charge for that? And so that's an example of just kind of trying something on. And we said, okay, what if we charge for the brand plan? And it was like, what if we charge more for the brand plan? What if we cut the brand plan in half and then doubled the price? Um, <laughs> and, and those are things that we've done over the years just to kind of really step deeper into like, what is, what's the best part? How do we focus on the best work and really, again, coming back to serving your clients, give, give them like really high value, give them exactly what they need and like less of the stuff that they don't need. Um, so that's kind of how the brand plan evolved. We've had a lot of other things that we've kind of like tried on and been like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> so I love that. Though. So it's like seeing what really, I, I guess that makes you stand out against one of your competitors be it an agency or freelancers for, for that matter like this particular name that people can attach a meaning to mm -hmm. and I think what we're doing is similar to free like any freelancer like any copywriter out there who's like I'm a, I'm a freelance copywriter a lot of what we're offering is probably not that different but I think what it does for that copywriter is it puts them in the driver's seat I'm an expert I know what you need. I want to sell you the things that you need and I want to get you to where you're going. And I don't necessarily want you to come to me with like 10 ideas that like maybe three of them are good, but we're going to end up spending a lot of money and a lot of time. 
And not to say that the client is always wrong, but I think sometimes that's the risk you can run if you're kind of just selling your hours for dollars. We'll put a link, of course, at beingfreelance.com. You can go and check out what we're talking about and uh, the the website as ever for all of our guests' links through. And it's really interesting. I mean, that, you can kind of see your systems and processes that you've talked about come through in the, you know, as if I was imagining myself as a client. Mm-hmm. Without even talking to you, I get a sense of like what would be involved in the brand plan, for example. I notice you have video on there as well. Yeah, that was something we did maybe like 18 months ago. That was so fun. Um, I'm a huge fan of video. Well, So I guess to back up, you know, to kind of like, what is the point of all this? I think like I, I wouldn't advise for anybody to kind of go out and get a bunch of marketing stuff on their site because like somebody on the internet told them to. But I think when it comes to really connecting with those clients who are going to work with you, helping them understand what it feels like to work with you is literally the name of the game. Because again, I'm going to go back to copywriting because that's what I've done kind of in my past. If you're a copywriter, your client doesn't understand how you as a freelance copywriter is different from any other copywriter on the internet or a recommendation. You know, so you're kind of fighting an uphill battle there and different, like trying to be the one that says like, I'm the copywriter for you, XYZ brand. And so part of what we've really gotten serious about is trying to think about like, how do we demonstrate what it feels like to work with us? So that way people can begin, clients can begin imagining what it might feel like to hire us. And that just really helps, like you just do a lot less in the business development side. Um, so like, yeah, I, I, I would invite people to come to the site, like just even look at the way we've set up, like download an info pack or a video. Um, and all that was just really in the name of trying to really be transparent about like, this is what our energy is like. This is the steps in the process. This is exactly what's included. Here's a little bit of our aesthetic so you can get a feel for what it's going to look like. Um, and I think anytime as a freelancer, you can start illuminating those pieces, it helps draw in the clients that are going to be the greatest fit for you. And, you know, there's clients out there that aren't a great fit. So they can look at that and go, mm, no, thanks. And then you don't have to get on the phone and try to like use your time to sell that person because they've already self-eliminated, which is kind of what you want. Man, I love that. Seriously, go follow the link, take a look, <laughs> take all of that in because it's great. Now, actually, I'll tell you what we do. I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay. I had fun with these. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I mentioned that earlier in my career, I worked for some big brands like Taco Bell and Pepsi. And number one, when I worked for Taco Bell Corporate, there was a requirement that staff had to like have a certain number of Taco Bell meals per month to stay connected to the product. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, when I worked at another big company that will not be named, <laughs> I had a boss who would not type, not could not, would not type, and used to draw his emails out for me to type out for him. That's number two. Uh, right. Number, number three, during a downsizing when I was at a tech company, I had my entire team fired. We decided to walk into the executive boardroom and tell everybody in that room, no, you're not firing us. 
And by the end of the conversation, we not only kept our jobs, but had negotiated raises. <laughs> okay, right. I'm, actually, I'm going I'm to start with number two. You had a boss who, who used to draw Vima, as in literally draw them. Like like um, a little box and it would say two and then another little box where like, you know, and then write in you know, Jenny at prim.com and then CC and then like draw the little sun button. So, so you're not just saying they hand wrote uh-uh. a letter basically and you would type it up and turn it into an email. They would even create the boxes to tell so you knew where the field should go. Yes. And does it make it more exaggerative to say that potentially in this scenario, whether it's truth or a lie, I would print the email and staple it to the hand drawing for them to approve before I had to push send? (laughs) Okay. Number three, Uh let me get this right. Okay. So basically you were working for a tech company Mm -hmm. and that company decided to make a load of you redundant or fired. We're laying a load of you off. Yeah. But you became some sort of militant leader, <laughs> led everybody back into the boardroom under a flag, and not only scared them into <laughs> it not firing you, but giving you all a raise. Yeah. It's it's a very um like anthem-esque way of painting that that moment, but the facts of that are true, or are, like, you know, the facts of that are part of it. Yeah, okay, I've just done the Broadway version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if this is going to be on Broadway, I am definitely carrying a flag over my head into the boardroom, and the people are coming in behind me snapping and going, da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> and when you work for Taco Bell, they, they would actually make you eat how did they make you prove that you'd eaten a certain amount of Taco Bells a month to to stay on brand? So there were like these little cards, I guess, that you would you would scan, um, and it wasn't you know let's just say like not a big number, but as a part of their team, you know they want their employees to be um, really connected to the product and understand like what are the new developments that they're having and being able to understand how like I mean talk about corporate's a big company there's hundreds of people that work there and so being able to use that as even a test bed for like do you like this new sauce um gee oh that sounds so true these all sound so true even if the one in the middle sounds crazy and the one at the end sounds impossible uh I've got to say Taco Bell just sounds entirely plausible I mean it almost makes sense like ridiculous as it is it kind of well you know you work here you're selling our products taste them yeah okay could a boss really be that crazy to draw out I don't think they could I and yet part of me wishes it is true I'm gonna say that's the lie I don't think a boss physically drew an email wrong that actually oh! happened. <laughs> Amazing. That's insane. Right? <laughs> and you know what? The best part of that story is like, I would love to pretend that that was in 1990 when like the internet was new and people were like, LOL, what did you know? No, no, no. This was like in 2008. And that person was in his 40s. Like he wasn't like in his 80s where he's like old dog, new tricks, like, he was in his 40s. He just was like, oh, yeah, typing. I'm not going to do wow. that. And I was like, what? 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 
that's real. Okay, so what was the lie? Taco Bell. Oh, Taco no. Bell's the lie. That was so, that was, <laughs> well, well done. Which, of course, also means for our film rights for the Broadway adaptation. Now, I'm saying our now because I feel like I'm yes. part of a development team. We can be of, um, It'll be great. Yeah, add that to your side project list. Um, right. If you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think because freelancers tend to be such ambitious people. I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, I want to be there like yesterday and I have 10,000 goals, you know? So a lot of times when I think about like advice to my younger self, it's like, you're doing a great job, slow down, or maybe not even slow down, but just, you know, like maybe lessen the grip because you're going to be fine. And I think, I know that that may sound like cop out advice, but I think like we really do the best job we know how given the tools we have. And I think sometimes there's some insight into just trusting yourself and knowing that like, this is going to be great. It's going to be fun and you're allowed to enjoy it along the way. It doesn't have to be so like, you know, what's next and how am I growing my pipeline or who's the next client or, you know, which I think for freelancers, because we do control so much of our own destiny and outcome, Sometimes the downside of that is we're responsible for so many things. So I think it would just be, you know, relaxing and enjoying it and, and just really being confident that, that I was doing a great job. Nice. Jenny, thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. Of course, there's over 100 uh, other guests that you can listen to. And remember, no matter what they do, whatever their particular uh, job speciality might be, it's not about the job. It's about the being freelance. So please do check them all out. And of course, there'll be links through so that you can find Jenny online. So you can say hi to her on social. Check out the website that we were talking about earlier uh, from her and Sophie's business, Primed Marketing, but also the podcast as well. So good luck with that. And yeah, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you thanks so much and all the best being freelance yeah thank you so much 